You don't need to be an expert baker. You can never bake cookies prior to owning a Dirty Dough franchise and you will never bake cookies after either because it's irrelevant. You don't need to be a baking expert, right? So that's how I viewed it. I was like, these are the four barriers of entry to entrepreneurship. How do I lower all four of those to provide this opportunity to more people that maybe were scared to get into business or maybe they didn't have the capital or the confidence or the skill. And it's like, let's open that up a little bit wider to, again, have a little bit more people, I guess, experiencing the fun that we're having over here at Dirty Dough. Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership. Allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately a business that can run on its own without you. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. We have a really special guest with us here today. Excited to talk to him. But before that, Dan, my co-host. What's up, dude? Hey, what's going on? Nothing much, man. Just about to talk some cookies with our guest today, Bennett Maxwell with Dirty Dough. How you doing, man? Good. I'm excited to be on the podcast. All right. Well, I think what we typically start out with is, you know, we don't usually do bios on the show. We want it to be a little more conversational than that. So We'll just flip it over to you and tell us a little bit about yourself. And, and most importantly, how did you get into franchising? Because obviously, what we find for most people, you don't find franchising. Franchising kind of finds you. So how did that happen? Tell us about that. Yeah. So I've never been in the food or franchising till just last year, really. I was doing sales before that. So I mean, right before the show, you know, we were talking. That's why I was always in California. I'd always move out there to do different sales. And it was kind of a summer thing. Not kind of, it was. I would go for four to five months of the year, then come back and I wouldn't work the rest of the year. So in that off season, per se, I started looking into Crumble and I was like, oh, this is really cool. My cousin was telling me that there's a good amount of money in it. So I was like, oh, I'd love to add to my sales income, right? And buy a franchise. So I started going down that path and I stopped as soon as it was owner operated. And I was like, I understand why you do that. I don't agree with it though. Like, I don't want to buy my own job. Like that's just not what I'm looking to do. I don't want to replace my current income with the Crumble franchise. I wanted to add to it, but that wasn't in their model. And again, it's there's a lot going on in a Crumble store. Weekly rotating flavors, a lot of different inventory, a lot of employees that you have to hire. Everything's done by hand. Everything's weighed by hand. Like I could definitely see why they require that. But that was kind of my first like taste of it. I guess like three years just looking into it, and then the opportunity came. Dirty Dough was started in Arizona State University out of Tyler's apartment. And he's a guy that, yeah, there you go. <laughs> go down. He's a guy that I went to high school with. So he posts on Facebook, like, hey, I have a cookie company. I'm doing delivery only. I want to get a retail storefront. So I'm looking for some money. So I ended up connected with him, gave him a little bit of money so he could open up the storefront. Because again, now that's kicked back to my investment strategy, right? That's a little bit more passive for me. So I gave him the money. I'm in San Diego area at the time, running a solar company. Crumble opens up out in Point Loma. They're crushing it. And I'm like, Tyler, let's franchise. I'm going to be your first franchisee. I'm going to have a store out here. It's going to be awesome. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. A few months later, he's like, no, I'm not going to franchise. I actually want to sell the business. I want to get out. I want to move back to Utah, all of this stuff. So I'm like, man, I've never been in food, never been in franchising. And I live in San Diego, and I run a solar company full-time. right? So if I could buy this little cookie company out of Arizona 
and refine the processes to make it so simple that I don't have to be the owner operator, then man, how many other business owners are there like me that can fall into the same model? So that was the idea is buy the company and make it the most simplistic food franchise that exists. And that's kind of when we went to work and building the system. So you look at Crumble's model and they are amazing. They kill it. They do these large cookies, multi-flavored, served warm, all of that. And then you look at kind of the OG cookie companies, Mrs. Fields, Great American Cookie Company, Insomnia. Those cookie companies have been around for 45, 45, and 20 years. All have multiple hundred locations still. So it's like, well, what are they doing to last so long? Because the last thing I wanted to do was start a franchise, sell a bunch of franchises because we're in an up market and everybody's going crazy, you know, million plus dollar average unit volume sales. Like that's what Crumble's experiencing. But is it still going to be like that in three years, in five years, in 10 years, right? And when it goes back down to earth, are my franchisees still profitable? So let's look at models that have proven that. And those are the three that I mentioned. And what do they all do? Centralized production. So can we do a centralized production model to lower cost, increase quality control, lower cost of goods, lower labor, lower ongoing costs, right? With a smaller lease payment, lower startup costs, all of that. But while participating in this giant, warm cookie, multi-flavored craze that's going on. And we found a special machine that allowed us to do that. So we do the only three-layer cookie that I've ever seen. A three-layer cookie... It's a peanut butter cookie on the outside and you break it open. There's a chocolate dough in the middle and in the very center, there's hot fudge. And that's all pre-manufactured. So if you're a franchisee, you're getting a box, a case of cookies. And like Christian, Dan, I'm going to train you on how to run a dirty dough. You grab a speed rack. It's a little rack that holds cookie sheets that has wheels on it. Right? Because I didn't know what a speed rack was a year ago. <laughs> you wheel that into the walk-in cooler. Okay. You grab 15 cookies. Pick your flavor. Let's do chocolate chip, place them three by five on the cookie sheet, go put it in the oven, press start. The oven's already pre-programmed, same time, fan speed, and temperature for all cookies. Once it beeps, take it out, right? And then you throw it in a boxing server to the customer. Like, where are you going to mess up as far as the quality goes? I mean, maybe you forget to hear the timer. Maybe you trip when you're walking. I mean, it's pretty hard, right? I mean, obviously it could still be done, but like that's the store that we've created. So we get to participate in these high sales of these giant gourmet cookies, but we have the robust back end of the Mrs. Fields Great American Cookie Insomnia Cookie that has been proven to work for decades and weather those recessions. So that's kind of what led us to where we're at. Then obviously I'm not the experienced guy, so I hired a CEO, hired really high level people in each category, our logistics, our food production, uh, started selling franchises in December. We just opened up our third store. We have two more opening this week, another one next week. And I don't know, maybe 30 leases that franchisees have signed. 120 plus locations that we've signed on so far, franchises. So we should have another 30 probably by the end of the year. And then quite a few next year. So yeah, that's where we're at. We're in the cookie world now. From door-to-door sales to solar and then now cookies, you know, just the natural next step after solar. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. That's what I've heard. It's usually how it works when you get into solar. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 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 My head's spinning with questions. Who's going first? Me or you, Christian? You, Dan. I mean, I have a bunch too, but I'll let you take it away. It was an awesome story of how you explained it. So basically, you're doing sales. You want to be a franchisee. You're told you can't be a franchisee kind of last minute. 
You have the opportunity to buy the whole business instead. Uh-huh. You decide to franchise. You see the opportunity for more than just yourself, for business owners to own the business once it's been made simplified. But what you said that I thought was incredibly impressive was you knew what your skill is and you hired a team. Even though you own this business, you right away you found yourself a CEO and some other mm-hmm. executive members. What led you to do that? What was the thought process in right away knowing you needed to bring on a leadership team? The E-Myth Revisited is a great business book. And I did that with my solar company because I teamed up with my brother. So I started the solar company. We had our first recruit January of 2020. I purchased this business in January of 2021. So a year after starting my solar company, and how was I able to do that? Well, I worked myself out of the solar company. So starting a business, that's always, how do I get out of the business as quickly as possible so I can work on it rather than in it? So I learned a lot of that from my brother, from that book. Like We did the whole activity and the activity is, where's my business going to be in three years and five years? And then you build a whole organization chart. So it's just me and my brother sitting down and it's like, okay, well, we need a CEO and a COO and a CMO and a CFO. And then we need a regional sales manager and a VP of sales and a sales rep and all of these different positions. And you just plug your head in all of those. And it's like, why am I doing this? There's only two of us. Why am I building out 15 different positions, 30 different positions? And then you start working on each position, working up the standard operating procedures, and then you replace yourself. So I did sales reps first, right? And then I hired my first sales rep. And then I was the sales manager and I developed the model to be a manager. And then I promoted somebody to be a manager. And then I was now the regional salesperson, right? And then I replaced myself at that point as well. Anyways, it worked with solar. We ended up selling a few months after that. So we grew it, built it, sold it within 18 months, had a great time with it. So with Dirty Dough, it was going to be the same thing. But I needed to shortcut it a little bit because I see this as a, we have a window. So rather than me like being the CEO first and creating the standard operating procedures on how to be a CEO of a franchise chain with a food brand, and then hiring somebody, I just hired somebody that already been there, done that. It's Jill Summer Hayes. She started Maui Wowie Smoothies and Coffee, 83, ran it for 35 years, had just under 700 locations at its peak, sold it, and then took another company from a concept to 90 locations in a few years. I'm like, she's not only done it once, she's done it twice. Like, she's going to be way better at this than me. And then food production. I've never been in food production. I hired a guy that built it for another company. He took him from zero to 70 million in food production, warehousing in two years. And then logistics, because now we're a logistics company. Like on the back end, I'm explaining the simplistic dream model for a franchisee. On the corporate end, it's millions of dollars investing before we even have a freaking store open. And we're a production company, we're a logistics company, we're a franchise support company, we're all of that. So it's a lot harder on us, but it's to make it easier. So our logistics guy, he had a logistics company that had 50 million last year, he sold that company. So it's like, If you could do it for them, obviously you could do it for a handful of stores, right? And trying to hire people to where we want to be rather than where we're at has been the strategy. Yeah, start with the end in mind. Yep. And I love that you're all in on cookies, man. You sold the solar company, all in on cookies. I did, yeah. It's a great industry to be in. But it's also a testament to the fact that... And this should alleviate a lot of the fears of people in the audience that are thinking about buying a franchise, whether it's their first or whether it's they're diversifying their portfolio of brands. You don't need to have industry background. You can learn it. You just have to surround yourself by the right people and partner with the right franchisor who has those support systems in place. And what I like so much about how simple the model is for you guys, you're talking about centralized production, so easy that just about anybody can make the damn cookies. 
So I'm imagining that hiring and training is easier for that reason. Well, just staffing in general, you have half the employees, right? Because now you don't have teenagers mixing dough. And guess what they do? They mess up. And two things that can happen when they mess up. One, they throw it away and bone lots of waste. Or worse, they still serve the cookies, right? And they're just flat or they're undercooked or whatever it is. Like that's gone. Now you don't need to buy mixers either. Now you don't need to store raw ingredients so your space can be smaller. Now you don't deal with flour. So guess what? Your space is way cleaner. But the biggest difference is you don't have to weigh cookies by hand. If you worked at a dirty dough or a crumble or a chip or any of these companies, like we called it the position the baller. And Dan, you'd come in for five hours, you'd be slightly bent over, you'd get several bins of dough, and you'd grab the dough, put it on a scale, little pieces of dough till it weighs just right. Then you're gonna roll it on the table, form it by hand, put it on a cookie sheet. You have to do that for every single cookie for five hours and your back's killing you. You're gonna last with us for two weeks to eight weeks and then you're gone. And then I'm going to have to put out ads and then I'm going to have to interview. Then I'm going to have to train. I'm going to have to give out more uniforms. Once we switched to the centralized production, the hiring got so much easier. The retention through the roof, which just brings down all of those other costs. Because yeah, the labor is probably the biggest difference. Crumble right now is requiring 75 to 80 employees day one like that need to be onboarded. Now, keep in mind their average unit volume, according to their FDD, did 1,687,000 last year. So like they're crushing it. But man, that's a lot of employees, right? Compared to we're closer to 10 to 20 employees, depending on the volume that the store is doing. So big, huge difference there, much less than half the labor to really simplify it. It's incredible. So I have a question going back to this executive team component because you know we've got a lot of listeners on our show that are potential franchisees or current franchisees. We've also got a lot of franchise founders, hence the name franchise founders. And I have so many friends that are franchisors that have so many units that are making good money. And I always say, you know, hey, if you're ready for your next level, why not bring in a CEO or COO? And whatever that costs, what is that worth as far as your freedom to elevate to the next level in your business? Without getting into like the details of your, you know, compensation of your team, can you give an idea? Like if I'm a founder of a franchise and I want to bring on a key member that can run the day to day, any advice on structuring that compensation plan? Yeah. So we did like a mid six figures base with the rest based on commission. So it was kind of like, hey, how much do you need to make? You know? Multiple six figures. Okay, cool. Well, let's do a base plus commission type deal. Commission on store sold or? Store sold, yeah. And we've sold 120 in eight months, right? So like we're well overperforming on our commissions. But that's what we did. And the way that I made the decision is like, well, I know what I'm worth. I could go knock on somebody's door and go sell solar or pest control or like whatever. I could go generate money today if I need to. So what if I hire her and she doesn't pay for herself because sales are slow or it takes three months to ramp up or six months, whatever. I'll just go knock doors and I'll pay her salary and I just won't work in the business. Because if there's only going to be one of us working in the business, I'd rather have it be her because she's way better at this than me. <laughs> so I was 100% like willing to like, I will go back to solar as a sales rep just to knock doors to pay for her. Because pay for her. Yeah. I mean, who's, who's going to buy a franchise from an idiot? Me, right? Like nobody's going to buy a franchise. It's like, <laughs> well... Look at look at Jill. Like she's done this. She has franchisees that have been with her that have renewed three times. Like she knows how to do it. Are you going to trust her? Are you going to trust me? Well, you're going to trust her. And I know that because I know sales and that's going to increase my sales. Right. And then we brought on a great board of advisors as well. Our senior advisor 
His company was called Infospace. It was valued at 30 plus billion at its peak. Amazing in the entrepreneur space. He led Brigham Young University, BYU out of Utah, their entrepreneurship program and their top five in the nation every year. Right. So he was the man. We got Steve Hart on our board. He owns Property Management Inc., largest property management franchisor in the nation. Eric Van Horn, I think that's how we got in contact, right? He has his podcast and we're in his mastermind group and getting these high level people. And it's like, hey, don't trust Bennett because Bennett's a dummy. But look at the team, <laughs> right? These are the guys that are going to be really building everything. I'm just trying to put together the team. You put the team together. I'm laughing, not to turn it on me, but I just sold my company recently and I hired a whole new team mm-hmm. for the new business I have. And it's a team of people for a non-existent business. Like We don't have any revenue yet. And people are like, what are you doing? And it's a similar mindset. But what I thought was funny is like after the sale of my last business during the transition, like passwords, well, what are these passwords? And we need all the passwords that are all over the place. I'm a mess. Like, you know, there's operations manuals scattered. And someone was like, you know, I can't believe you didn't have these things. And I realized that, you know, I can, I can believe I don't have those things because I'm like you, I'm a dummy. But in this business, now I've got like just a person whose job is to like keep all these things together. So it's like, you know, your strengths. Sounds to me like we just met, but you put the people together, you put the pieces together in the puzzle. Mm -hmm. That sounds like one of your skills. Let me do what I'm good at. And let me let you do what you're good at as well. And it was all big picture, like 100% committed. Like, yeah, we went kind of slow at the beginning. Like, okay, well, let's test the bowling machine, right? Let's install that in the store. And it was running out of the Tempe location. Like it wasn't through a warehouse. And boom, turnover was like almost non-existent. We did lose an employee every few months now because it was just such an easy job. And it's like, well, that was good. And we just started one little machine, right? And it's like, okay, now let's sign a lease on a warehouse. And now let's start producing cookies from there. And now we just signed a lease on a much larger warehouse that'll produce cookies for about 150 stores. Like we were fully committed, but not to say that we just threw in all the money. Like we still went through the verification and validation process as we were building it up. But from the very beginning, I'm like, if this is going to work, I need an all-star team. I need a big old warehouse and I need millions of dollars worth of machinery. So let's get there as quickly as we can. If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button. And make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. Well, I love it. It's the old quote that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a certain awareness and a certain humility you have to have. And I think a fatal error a lot of entrepreneurs make is they let their ego get in the way and they want to be the guy that's like leading the charge and doing everything. They want to be perceived as the expert and like this business guru who knows all things and can do it all themselves. And I think that's just a dumb way to do it. And so you've done the exact opposite. You're building it the right way. And you're aware of what your strengths are. You double down on your strengths. And then you hire for those areas that you're not that great at. So like Dan said, I'm not an operations guy. I can be the visionary. I like building teams and talking to people. But I don't want to be the guy that's putting together an ops manual. Yeah, And it's not my strength. And it's not what I want to do. But there are people that love doing that and that are really great at it. So it's smart to do that. So I guess I wanted to talk a little bit about shifting gears back to the model a little bit. So obviously, the centralized production, better retention because it's so standardized. Brand consistency is obviously going to be on point. So you essentially have, in order for it to be semi-absentee, I mean, how semi-absentee can the model be? You're putting a general manager at the store there, running a lot of the day-to-day operations. So how semi-absentee is it? And then 
you know, what are the owner's responsibilities for the most part? We require three weeks that the owner's present for the first three weeks. And this is something, again, I'd never been in food. I'm running the business full-time out of San Diego. And I did this. We hired a 22-year-old to manage the store. She has like eight employees. You know, it's not that much going on. That wouldn't be considered a manager in any other company, right? That's a shift lead at best if you're overseeing eight people. So how I managed it, I would fly in once a month. I would try to get an early flight and I'd always fly back that same day. I would go into the store. I would meet with the manager. I would check out the store and I'm like, oh, I don't like that. Or those cookies look weird or whatever. You're like, hey, you need to dust that. I'm taking pictures of everything as I'm talking to her in person. Then I fly home that same night. I used a task management system at the time. It was a sauna. Now we switched to ClickUp, but it doesn't matter, right? You just need something where I can upload pictures, add a written description, put a due date, assign it to my manager, and then she can go upload pictures when it's complete. And it's like, that's how we manage the store. You know, one day a month, I would pop in there and we'd have an hour meeting a week with the manager. So wow. that was with me with no experience. And yeah, we hit some roadblocks. But it's like, have I ever worked in the store? No, I've never worked in the store. Have I ever made a batch of cookies? No, I've never made a batch of cookies. Because how can I? I'm in San Diego, right? Like, oh, somebody's going to show up. <laughs> okay, manager, we'll figure it out. That's what you're here for. <laughs> you know, and it's worked. She's been excellent to do that. So it's just, again, there's not much going on. And then like, hey, we don't release a schedule every week. We do a forever schedule. If you need time off, you got to ask for that in advance. And you just throw it in the group chat. And then other employees could pick that up. So it's also structuring the systems of the managers a little bit easier. And then implementing checklists, you know, morning, evening, night checklists that I can monitor digitally. And if I want to, I can also check. They just checked the box of, they took out the trash. Let me check my cameras and see if they actually did, right? So remotely, I was able to manage it pretty well. It's incredible. And so you essentially started out as a semi-absentee owner. I mean, you're still... Oh, yeah, for sure. ...overseeing the high-level operations, but you're not in the store, you're not making cookies, like you said, and that's not what you're expecting your franchisees to do either. Oh, if you ask me to check out a customer, I don't know how to. And I'll tell you why, because I went there yesterday and I have a code when I'm buying... Because this is a franchise, so I'm going to buy the cookies when I'm giving them to somebody I was meeting there. But I have a code to get a discount. <laughs> and I tell the employee, she's brand new, she doesn't know how to do it. And I was like, let me see. I couldn't figure it out either. <laughs> she's like, I trust you own this. I was like, ah, I do, but I don't know how to do that. So anyways, I was like, oh, I guess I'm paying full price for these cookies. But again, you don't need to do it if you have people in place that are doing it for you. Like big picture of Dirty Dough, and we don't need to get into it a ton, but it's all about mental health. Dirty dough means the dough's dirty. Mm. It's what's on the inside that matters. We focus on the inside of the cookie. It's a dirty, messy cookie that's meant to be enjoyed just like life. We don't want the perfect cookie, right? That's The perfect Instagram life is what's causing the mental health crisis. So we're fighting against that saying it doesn't need to be perfect for it to be enjoyed. Like You could find joy and fulfillment now. And we're doing like a nonprofit on the back end that we're setting up, building wellness centers in schools. And then we find like a proactive mental health approach like service for all of our employees. And at a corporate level, we pay for all of our franchisees. So you can get into guided meditation or your online therapy sessions that we're paying for at a corporate level. That's goal number one. Goal number two is lowering the barrier of entry to entrepreneurship. I'm super passionate and I love business. It's freaking fun. And cookies are fun as well, right? Like I love what I'm doing and I want as many people as possible to experience with that, especially looking at like, man, Mrs. Fields was started in 77 and they still have 200 locations. Like that's crazy. That's generational wealth. That changes 
not just one person's life, that's changing a family, you know, generationally. So it's like, that's what I want more people to participate in. So I view entrepreneurship, you need a game plan, you need time, money, and expertise. Well, the game plan, that should be given to you if it's a franchise, right? So check, time. I just outlined how much time you need to run one of these dirty doughs, right? Like very minimal while I was running another business. So greatly reduced the barrier of entry as far as time goes. Money, we're half the cost compared to the average crumble because you're not buying all the mixers. You need a much smaller square footage, a much smaller build out. And then the expertise. You don't need to be an expert baker. You could never bake cookies prior to owning a Dirty Dough franchise and you will never bake cookies after either because it's irrelevant. You don't need to be a baking expert, right? So that's how I viewed it. As like, these are the four barriers of entry to entrepreneurship. How do I lower all four of those to provide this opportunity to more people that maybe were scared to get into business or maybe they didn't have the capital or the confidence or the skill. And it's like, let's open that up a little bit wider to, again, have a little bit more people, I guess, experiencing the fun that we're having over here at Dirty Dough. All right, I'm in. Send me the franchise agreement. <laughs> I didn't know that's what I was doing on this podcast, man. <laughs> I'm half kidding, half serious, man. I'm in. I'm in on you. I really agree with everything you've said. And I think that obviously being humble when you say you're dumb, only maybe sometimes because you obviously know what you're doing as you build this. I had a question shifting gears to like the franchise. I mean, 130 locations. 121 now. How did you find all of these great candidates, these franchisees? That's incredible in such a short period of time. Yeah. We found them by having an amazing team and an amazing model. I mean, we haven't paid a dollar for marketing. Meaning they found us and they were attracted to us because of what we've been building. And it's like, go find me another franchise with a more experienced team. I mean, we have three locations. We're tiny, right? Go find me a better franchise team on the executive level than what we've built anywhere with the company or small. I mean, you can't, right? Go find a more efficient model out there in the food industry. I'm like, I don't think you can. So because of that, like yesterday we sold six to Colin. And I remember a few weeks ago, my buddy that I did sales with, he goes, Hey, my brother's interested in franchising, you know, what info? And I just sent him a calendar link to book a call with the salesperson. Never even spoke with them. Then the salesperson yesterday, hey, we closed another six. And I'm like, oh, who was it? He's like, oh, it was Colin. And so I call up Dylan, his brother. I'm like, dude, thanks for that lead. And I haven't talked with Dylan in years. He just texted me, right? But he saw what I was doing on social media. So I should say social media, and that's my personal social media, not the company's. We're not doing any social media as a company as far as franchising yet. It's all just been my personal social media, people seeing that, and then word of mouth. And then people just apply, either message me online or apply. Now this Crumble lawsuit has got us... It was last week, they were looking at the previous 30 days, which was pretty much the 30 days of the lawsuit. And we had 340 organic franchise inquiries on the website. That's all from the lawsuit. Everybody's like, how'd you hear about us? The lawsuit. So <laughs> I owe a lot of credit to our team on the back end, but I also have to give a little bit of credit to Crumble because <laughs> that's where a lot of our sales are coming from now. Let's get into this. Let's get into the dirty. So <laughs> what's the story? If you're able to share a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So in May, we got word that, anyways, Crumble went straight to a lawsuit and they're like, we're suing you. And it's like, okay, what do you want us to change? Like, what do you want us to change? Like, you know, usually you send a cease and desist. Like, these are the items that we think is causing confusion or whatever, it's violating our trademarks and change XYZ and you start negotiating from there. And in fact, Chip, 
did that to Crumble and Crumble changed their logo. No lawsuit, no lawyer fees, nothing like that. They go straight to a lawsuit. And I'm like, okay, what does that tell me? Obviously, I don't know these guys' attention, but it's probably a billion dollar company saying we can burn holes in your pockets financially, right? It doesn't matter who's right. If I can outlast the legal fees, then you can't win if you don't have money, right? I mean, that, that's what it is. So that was kind of my initial impression, but we're like, they have no merit to this lawsuit. The lawsuit, it was pretty funny. They legitimately put pictures of their cookie with sprinkles and put our cookie of sprinkles next to it. And they're like, these look similar. And then we serve ice cream in a bowl. So we do a warm cookie and then ice cream on top. And they don't do that, but they do serve ice cream, right? But man, do those ice creams look similar when they put them next to each other. I mean, it's a bowl with ice cream. Come on. Like ours has a cookie in it, your doesn't. But on the top, it both looks ice cream. The funny thing is, go look at the timestamps or their Facebook cover picture has cookies and ours has cookies. Wow. Go look at the timestamp. We posted ours months before them. And it's like, wait, you're going to use an example of you copying us as us copying you? Like, who's your attorney? This is silly. So a lot of other things. And then they accused Dirty Dough of being founded in 2019 by a former Crumble employee. Started working for Crumble in March of 19, ended in June of 19, founded Dirty Dough. Well, that doesn't line up with the news articles that were released in 2018 showing that Dirty Dough is already selling cookies. It's like, that was a 10-second Google search, guys. Like, do your due diligence before you file a lawsuit. So we felt like nothing came from it. This was filed in May in the state of Utah before we even had a store in the state of Utah. So, I mean, whatever that means. How are they suing us here when we're not even selling cookies here? And then KSL picked it up, which is a local news channel, and said, hey, Crumble's suing these other two companies. And then it started kind of just blowing up and other people and dozens of attorneys are reaching out and like, dude, this is a joke. Like they have no chance of winning. So we'll see. I mean, we still have to deal with it, but it's kind of the David versus Goliath. We had one store when they sued us. Now we have three, right? And they opened up 70 stores this month alone. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's like, come on guys. Like, let's just compete. Don't take us to court over something stupid because you want to see how much money you can burn from a startup. You know, so that's my opinion on it. I think it's all silly. Yeah. Well, could it be that they're threatened that you did 120 franchise sales in eight months? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I definitely think our model superior to theirs. Our break-even point is so much less than theirs that it's lowering the risk for those entrepreneurs as well. But I mean, we're not the only companies they sued. So is it because they're threatened or they just sued 10 companies at a time? I mean, I don't know. I think they're just trying to squash competition. Because anybody who sells cookies with sprinkles on it, like freaking watch out, (laughs) Crumble's coming for you. Imagine if Domino's send a letter to freaking Little Caesars or Pizza Hut and they're like, look at our pepperoni pizzas side by side. (laughs) That looks awfully similar. It's like, yeah, and so does every pizza out there because it's a pizza and it's a hamburger and it's a donut. Like they look the same because they're the same product. So anyways, it's kind of weird that they brought up the pictures in there and I'm like, come on guys. And then they're complaining about the box as well. Like we use a rectangular box to serve cookies. So how many options do you have to serve cookies? A rectangular box or a square box? Now, if you're serving four cookies and I'm going to give them to an Uber Eats driver who's going to drive them somewhere and I don't want the warm cookies with drizzles on top to smash and cross-contaminate, am I going to use a rectangular box or a square box? Rectangular box because it's for functionality. And that's why it's existed and dozens of companies have been using them for decades. But they're like, that's ours. And I'm like, Really? Like, is anybody confusing a blue box with a pink box? I don't know. I don't think so. 
go find me somebody. And then the weekly rotating is the other thing that they called out. Like we rotate our flavors weekly and so do you. So you're copying us. And it's like, show me your trade dress or your trademark on a weekly rotating flavor from a company that's five years old from something that's been done for decades. Like you guys don't own that. You guys copied other companies and then now are suing people for copying that. I'm like, no, we're not even copying you. We're copying the companies you copied. <laughs> you know, so those are kind of the big points of the lawsuit. And it is what it is right now. But I think it has been the best thing for our business, which was pretty unexpected. Well, yeah, I mean, all press is good press, right? And if all these yeah. people see all the talk on LinkedIn, Facebook, everywhere else, they see the billboards in Utah, right? Yeah. It gets your name out there. And then when they realize that the business model itself is highly differentiated, I mean, I don't know the exact cost, the total investment to get started for you versus a crumble. But I'd imagine that if it is, you said it's around half to get one store open. So that presents a lot of multi-unit opportunities as well. Yeah. And that's almost exclusively what we're doing is multi-unit. Crumble's new FDD, I think is like 347 on the low end to 690 something on the high. So 350 to 700, right? Anecdotally speaking, I know a lot, dozens of franchise owners and it's like 450 to 500 typically. Are these Utah stores are opening up for around 200, right? Give or take 20, 30 grand. It's incredible. The difference is definitely substantial there. You won't be the leader you'll be next year without having gone through this now, right? You'll be an even better yeah. leader of your organization. Every entrepreneur has to get a bloody nose or a couple of knee scrapes. Yep. It's not fun, I'm sure, when you know it's such a large company, but you just keep doing the right thing and swimming in your lane, not looking to the left or the right, right? Like mm-hmm. Michael Phelps, I think. He just swims and you'll just yep. keep innovating. How about a circular box instead? I don't know. Or a heart. I don't know. I mean, we posted that on LinkedIn and you know, just joking. And I tagged the other cookie company. And I'm like, well, Chip has the square box. Crumble has the rectangular box. Crave, you better pick your box before they're all taken because everybody knows... You're only allowed one shape of box per cookie company. And I posted like a star-shaped box, a pyramid-shaped box, a Tetris-shaped box, just like poking fun. Like, come on, guys, this is so silly. Like, really, a box? (laughs) If it was like a novelty box, cool. But a rectangular box, I'm like, you guys, this is silly. I like it. It seems like you're having fun with the whole process. Yeah, the billboards were also fun. (laughs) What did the billboards say? One is, let your taste buds be the judge. Another one is cookie so good, we're being sued. And it has like a censored cookie on there. So that was kind of funny. <laughs> Who came up with that? That's good. Yeah. EKR Agency is our marketing company. And their creative guy, Camden, is freaking awesome. So we don't file lawsuits. We just have better cookies was another one. Because <laughs> it's like, just compete with us, Crumble. Like You guys are valued at billions of dollars. And we have a store open. Like, Come on, just have a better product. Why are you trying? Anyways, and you kind of start seeing in their marketing and they're like, oh, well, they do frozen dough and we don't. It's like, okay, cool. You know, and he posted about one of the owners was like, that's taking the easy route of doing the frozen dough because that's easier. And I'm like, I would beg to differ because we spent a lot more money up front to make it way easier for our franchises on a corporate side. For it to be easier, it would be, hey, Dan, as a franchisee, you go figure it out. Like, go buy from Cisco. Hire your own people, buy your own mixers, do your own quality control, way by hand. Like that's the easy way out, in my opinion, right? What we're doing is much harder. But yeah, it's definitely frozen dough. We kind of go back and forth a little bit with Crumble. And I'm just like, 
you guys do your thing, we'll do our thing, and I will applaud you guys on the way, but that's not happening. <laughs> do you feel like you're motivated by it somewhat or being told you can't do something or, you know, as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I mean, I would say the motivation comes from like, look how many people see this lawsuit and are giving us, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars investing in this franchise model after they know about the lawsuit. That's kind of like the proof of the pudding, right? Like they're not threatened by it. We've sold dozens since the lawsuit. We've actually done a round of fundraising since the lawsuit and we disclosed the lawsuit and like nobody's affected by it. So seeing that and I'm like, okay, I think we're on to something. You know, I think that we're going to get through this lawsuit just fine and we're actually going to be better, a lot better than had it not happened. Yeah. I mean, what I love about the model is you're really, your goal is to make it easier for the entrepreneur, lower barrier to entry. You know, they might fault you for having frozen dough, but again, easier for who? Are we going to make it easier for us as the franchisor and the corporate team? Or are we going to make it easier for the franchisees and lower that barrier of entry and make their operating expenses lower, their yeah. headaches lower? Because that's why people buy a business. Like you mentioned at the top of the conversation, Nobody wants to buy a job and they want it where it's simple, it's easy, and there's a game plan that's laid out for them. Yep. So I love that you're making it easy for the entrepreneur. I love that there's a mission-driven component to it, the mental health. There's a huge need for that in society. So I love that there's that. And then I haven't tried the cookies yet, but I'm sure they're fantastic and cookies are fun. So what's not to like? Well, didn't, you, didn't you say you're sending us after the podcast? I thought that was our... I can definitely send you guys those some cookies. That's definitely <laughs> part of the deal. We did frozen taste tests, you know, blind taste tests. You freeze it for six months, nobody knows the difference. I mean, do it at your house. Make fresh cookies and throw it in the freezer for three months and then go back to it. Or overnight, like baking items, it freezing doesn't affect it. So, I mean, there is that. Is somebody not going to buy from us because of that? Maybe. I mean, does McDonald's freeze their hamburgers? Probably. But I remember Wendy's always went with the fresh, never frozen. But McDonald's is still on top. You know, like people are buying from what I've seen, and I'm very limited experience, right? But you need a good, consistent product, but you don't need the best product. And look at our reviews compared to Crumbles, though, and our Utah stores, they're all higher. Like, I think we have a better product, or the customers at least think we have a better product. But like, who's got the best hamburger? It's not McDonald's. Does Taco Bell have the best Mexican, or does Panda have the best Chinese? Like, no, it's about the branding, the quality control, the consistency for the customer just have a really good, consistent product. And I think that's what we're delivering on much better than anybody else in the space. About the system. Mm -hmm. And I feel like at the end of the day, like you're different products, right? You have a different product offering and there's a massive addressable market nationwide, worldwide. And so there can only be one cookie location anyway or store in a town, in a geographic area. You need multiple choices. And so at the end of the day, like, I mean, I think of like McDonald's and Burger King, they're across the street from each other and they rise together actually, right? You think about, you know, the fact that people have the choice. Competition drives the product up and the awareness of just cookie brands in general. So I think it's a positive either way. I do too. Yeah. Let the consumer decide, let the entrepreneur decide. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. For sure. Well, cool, man. Well, where can they find you? And any last thoughts you'd like to leave the audience with Bennett? I think we covered it all. I maybe I should be a little bit more Nice. The first month I was like, okay, this is funny. But now they're like doubling down and tripling down on the loss. And I'm like, you guys, let's just go to friendly competition. And if we violate a trademark, we will change anything. If there's actual merit to the suit, like, yes, 100%. But there is not here. So like, 
let's just go back to friendly competition. And I mean, more cookies, more people will buy cookies, right? Like Starbucks, how many companies came after Starbucks? Not more people are used to paying five bucks for coffee. So anyways, to find me, my website is the best. So Bennett Maxwell, B-E-N-N-E-T-T-M-A-X-W-E-L-L, BennettMaxwell.com. From there, there's a link to go over and inquire about franchising, kind of learning a little bit more about that. But also I post pretty regularly, try to do it daily, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, about tips and tricks, typically just general business but try to put out as much as value as I can. So yeah, that's the best way to connect with me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.